the series at Pentecost, My Soul Sings in Church, and today, My Soul Sings in Battle. And of course, the New Testament is full of uh, imagery about warfare and battle. So uh, if you think about uh, Paul's words to uh, Timothy, at the end of his life, the Apostle Paul, what does he say? He says, I have fought the good fight. And of course, he's not talking about kind of like, you know, wrestling or uh, you know, some kind of literal fight. He's, he's talking about the Christian life. He's using the metaphor of, of warfare uh, as, as, as Christian discipleship. I have fought the good fight. So Christian discipleship is like a good fight. Uh, he says to Timothy in uh, chapter 2, verse 3 of 2 Timothy, uh, he says to Timothy, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Again, this imagery of Christian discipleship as being um, not just a soldier, but a good soldier. And maybe most famously of all, Paul writes to the Ephesians, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Today we're looking at a story uh, of a struggle that is against flesh and blood, but, but the Apostle Paul says to the Ephesians, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so what that means, unfortunately, is that when you become a Christian, you you actually take up your part as a soldier. You kind of get a target, a spiritual target on your back, not from literal armies, but from the armies of darkness, the, the spiritual forces of evil in this world. But, but today is, is, about, is about fighting back. My soul sings in battle. Samuel Chadwick once said, and I've said this before, Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, he mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. And and I want to add to that this morning that he trembles when we praise, because that's what we're going to see in our story today. I hope you'll keep it in front of you, 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 20, because the, the key verse where we see that is verse 22, if you have a look at that now, it says, As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the enemy and they were defeated. So what do you do when the heat is on? Uh, maybe when you're overcommitted at work or study, when, when you've got just too many deadlines or, or when uh, you know, you're all struck down in your house by sickness or, or when you face some kind of terrible disappointment? What do you do when the heat is on, when, when you're living with broken relationships or uh, you know, people problems at work or when you're under financial stress? What do you do when the heat is on, in the heat of battle? Uh, in sport, um, a person develops a stress fat fracture when the shocks and the strains of the game create these microscopic cracks in the outer layers of bone. Uh, usually it's in the legs or in the feet. But, but if the pounding continues and those crevices which go often go undetected don't get healed, then they can grow. And when the cracks get big enough to cause a whole lot of pain, they, they cause these stress fractures. But of course... Stress fractures don't just occur in bodies and they don't just occur in sport. They're not just limited to bones. Sometimes the worst kind of stress 
fracture are the stress fractures of the soul that we accumulate through the pressures of life. Sometimes those fractures can accumulate slowly, like, you know, the straw that breaks the camel's back. But sometimes they can strike like lightning. And really, that's how it strikes in our story today. Jehoshaphat was going pretty well. He was the king in Judah, and actually there was peace on all sides. But then look at verse 2, lightning strikes. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom. Now, what would you do? Think about it. What would you do if you were the king? You've got quite a bit of financial resources at your disposal. You, you have a decent army at your disposal. You, as a king, have wisdom, knowledge, experience and power and, let's face it, not much time. What would you do? What do you do when the heat is on? Well, look at verse 3. Jehoshaphat was afraid. Fair enough. Vast army coming to destroy you. And then what? He set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout all Judah. I do find that striking for the most powerful person in Judah who had so many resources at his disposal. He was able to resist the the urge that we all face to fight in our own strength when, when the heat is on, to kind of panic and run out in our own strength. I mean... That's not how we do it these days. That's not how our leaders and our politicians do it these days. It it used to be that some of our leaders in a time of deep uh, distress would actually call the nation to a a national day of prayer and fasting. Does that ring any bells for you? So Abraham Lincoln during the American Civil War many times called for a national day of prayer and fasting. Thomas Jefferson during the War of Independence called for a national day of prayer and fasting. Winston Churchill during World War II called for a national day of prayer and fasting. But it's just not how we do it these days, do we? Can you imagine that happening in today's day and age? Well, we can always pray, right? He can do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. But, but there used to be a deep sense and recognition of our powerlessness and our need for God's grace and for God's help. And so it was for King Jehoshaphat. He called for a fast, for fasting and praying. And they all gathered and they did it. Uh, There was a little boy uh, who was spending his Saturday morning playing in his sandpit. And in the process of creating roads and tunnels for his toy car, he discovered a large rock in the middle of the sandpit. And he dug around the rock and managed to dislodge it from the dirt. And he, he pushed and nudged the rock across the sandpit using his feet. He was a very small boy and this was a very large rock. And when he got it to the edge of the sandpit, he found that he couldn't roll it up and over the wall and off the edge. But he was determined and he pushed and he shoved and he pulled and he pried. But every time he thought he made progress, the rock just fell back into the sandpit. Again, he pushed and shoved and pulled and pried until he smashed his fingers under the rock and just burst into tears of frustration. Well, all this time, the boy's dad was watching from the living room 
window as the drama unfolded. And at the moment the tears fell, a large shadow fell across the boy and the sandpit. It was Dad. I gently but firmly, he said, Son, why didn't you use all the strength that you had available? Well, as you can imagine, this just made things worse. But I did, Daddy, I did. I used all the strength that I had. Mate, you didn't. You didn't use all the strength you had. You didn't ask me. Have a look at verse 4. He calls a fast, he calls people to pray. Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the towns of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Jehoshaphat knew, despite being a king and so powerful, that no matter how much he pushed, no matter how much he pulled, he would not get anything done without the Father's help. And he called the whole nation to call out to the Lord for his help. As King David once said, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. In this little box right here, I've probably got more than a hundred box that I just, uh, sorry, a hundred rocks that I just can't move on my own. They're they're prayer cards. Healing, this one says. Uh, More than a hundred rocks that I just cannot move on my own. Uh, Some of them are big and some of them are small. Some of them are out there. Some of them are out there. And some of them are in here. And I just know that I just cannot move them without my father's help. And so day in, day out, month in, month out, year in, year out, I'm calling on my father for his help to move these rocks that just cannot move on my own. Do you think when I don't get an answer in day one, I just give up and move on? No, I take very seriously the Lord Jesus' words to his disciples that they should always pray and never give up. I don't give up. I dig in. I need my Father's help. So the predicament that they're in in verse 2 leads them to pray in verse 3. And their prayer leads to prophecy, actually, in verse 14. Have a look. They prayed a long prayer, and then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, a Levite and descendant of Asaph, in the middle of the assembly. So they gathered in the temple, praying, fasting, calling on the Lord for help. He said, thus says the Lord to you, do not fear or be dismayed at this great multitude. Other translations say this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. So this guy, Jehaziel, he, it says he was a descendant of Asaph. And, and Asaph was the guy that King David put in charge of the choir. So he's the choir director. And the sons of Asaph were the temple musicians. And Asaph himself was, was a prophet. And the Spirit of the Lord comes on him and he speaks the word of the Lord. But of course, it was Pentecost Sunday last Sunday. And, and we just heard that, that God promised that I will pour out my Spirit on all people. 
not just the select few amid the assembly, but upon all people, your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. The Spirit now has been pulled out, poured out on all the people amid the assembly so that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul expects all kinds of manifestations of the Spirit's power in the midst of the assembly. We see it in one guy, Jehaziel, who is given the spirit and is able to prophesy. Paul expects that to happen amongst all the people who have the spirit. Remember when the spirit descended at Pentecost, the flame didn't come on a select few. It came upon all of their heads because all of us have the spirit. And so Paul expects that to one, a message of wisdom is given through the spirit and to another, a message of knowledge by the spirit and to another faith. And to another, gifts of healing and the performing of miracles, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, different kinds of tongues, the interpretations of tongues. This is what the Apostle Paul expects to happen in the assembly of God upon whom God's Spirit has been poured out. And and in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 3, the Apostle Paul says that the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement... And comfort. And isn't that exactly what we see in this assembly and in this story that the Spirit is poured out on Jehaziel and that he prophesies and it leads to their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort? Actually, I, I love that we see in this story, we actually see the power train of prayer that we've been talking about that, that it begins with a predicament and, and then if God's people will pray, then, then what we see uh, is that they pray in verse 2, verse 3, and then, and then God's spirit is poured out upon Jehaziel. Today it's the whole community. And then through the manifestation of the spirit, we see prophecy given in verse 14. And then we see the outpouring of praise that we've been talking about in verse 19. And, and by the way, this is where the musicians come to the fore in the gathered assembly. Have a look at verse 19. And the Levites and the Kohathites and the Korahites, these were the musicians, they stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Sounds like Thursday night. Please note, they start celebrating and singing before their salvation. Think about it. God hasn't done anything yet. There's still a vast army. They're still surrounded by a vast army. But God promised to do it, and for them, that means it's as good as done. Friends, please don't wait until you see the manifestation of God's victory to sing God's praise. They start singing before their salvation. Because God gave them a word, and for them that was a done deal. Look at verse 20, halfway through. Jehoshaphat, after getting the word from the Lord, says, Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. Stand on the word of the Lord that's been given to you. Reminds me of the hymn, How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, who unto the Saviour for refuge have fled? Believe in the Lord. Believe in his prophets. Leads to an outpouring of praise led by the choir. Then in verse 21, 
Jehoshaphat, when he had taken counsel with the people, he he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy splendor as they went before the army. How's that for a battle strategy? Send in the choir. That's what he's done. The choir to conquer. That's who he appoints. Why? Because the battle is not yours. It's God's. You just have to stand firm on his promise and sing his glory and sing his praise and see the victory of the Lord. Now, it's very clear in the story that the victory is God's. I've just said it. That he says the battle belongs to God and not, it's not yours. And yet it's also clear, so clear, that God was pleased to work through their singing. They were singing spiritual songs. I mean, we saw that in Ephesians 5 last week, sing spiritual songs. And these were spiritual songs that God worked through them. I'm not making this up. Look again with me at this key verse 22. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambush against the Ammonites, Moab and Mount Seir so that they were routed. Commenting on this verse, John Piper says, I think that the writer wants us to learn from verse 22 that the enemies of God are thrown into confusion by the songs of God's people. Or to put it another way, God has appointed the use of spiritual songs as an effective weapon against his arch enemy, Satan. And of course, this is not the first time in the scriptures that we see the connection between faith filled, Bible-grounded singing and spiritual warfare. We see it elsewhere in the scriptures, this pattern of singing and spiritual warfare. Does anything come to mind? What about the little shepherd boy, David, playing the harp for King Saul? Can you remember that story? It's in 1 Samuel 16. Here's what it says. It says, whenever the evil spirit came on Saul, David would pick up his lyre and play, and Saul would then be relieved, feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him through the ministry of Music, God was pleased to bring deliverance to King Saul. Martin Luther, over 500 years ago, here's what he wrote. We know that to the devils, music is something altogether hateful and unbearable. Music drives away the devil and makes people cheerful. Of course, he was thinking about spiritual songs, music that pleases God. There's one story where we see it. Uh, There's another one in the New Testament, in in Acts chapter 16. Can you remember that Paul and Silas were on their their missionary journey and they healed this slave girl who was able to um, kind of fortune tell because of this evil spirit and and she was delivered and they were upset and so they put Paul and Silas in prison and and it says uh, about midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. You see, they haven't seen their salvation yet, but they're singing by faith. In God's deliverance. And the other prisoners were listening to them. They're they're witnessing to God's victory. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The rest of the stories, they came out. The prison, the jailer was baptized and they started a new church through these people who were converted. 
Just like in our story today, that, that, that as they were singing and praying, we see this manifestation of the Spirit's power. Earthquake, prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. Now, do you think Luke is saying, hey, it was so weird. Just, they just happened to be singing and, and just coincidentally, by some chance, they just happened to be an earthquake while there was, you know, I don't know, I don't know they, just, they just happened. No. There's a connection here between the singing of spiritual songs and spiritual warfare, the manifestation of the Spirit's power. And, and so, so this is what we see in this story of Jehoshaphat. But, but I want to take us some time to, to see how Jehoshaphat points us to Jesus. Because if you think about it, just like Jehoshaphat, Jesus was a king, wasn't he? He, he was the king of kings, the second person of the Godhead. And even more than Jehoshaphat, our Lord Jesus was surrounded by enemies. When you look at him in his final days, all the might and majesty of Rome arrayed against him, all of the uh, might of the Jewish religious establishment, the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the priests and the high priests arrayed against this king, Jesus. Look, verse 26, uh, sorry, Matthew 26, verse 4 says, they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. So, so what did he do while the heat was on? Well, like King Jehoshaphat, he had incredible resources at his disposal. But like a little child, he always relied on his father. Picture him in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, Father, if it's possible, let this cup be taken from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. He was a king with incredible might and power at his disposal, and yet like a little child, fully dependent on his father. Once he said, do you think I can't call on my father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels, and yet he refused to go in his own strength, like a little child, fully dependent on his father. He resisted the temptation to go in his strength. Also, just like Jehoshaphat, who was full of faith and was singing before he saw the manifestation of his salvation, so we see our Lord Jesus singing before he saw the manifestation of his salvation. Remember when that was? It was the night of the Passover meal. Remember what that Passover meal was about? It was, it was about that great declaration of God's mighty power to deliver his people out of Egypt, and to destroy the enemy, Pharaoh and his armies, out of the sea. It was the night in which he celebrated God's great deliverance from their powerful enemies. It says in Matthew 26, verse 30, when they had sung a hymn, this is the disciples after the Lord's Supper, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Friends, this is the one picture in the scriptures where we see our Saviour singing. And when was it? It was right after they commemorated God's great deliverance out of Egypt, the Passover meal, and it was right before he went into battle. That's when we see our Saviour singing. Also, like King Jehoshaphat, as he was surrounded by his enemies, Hebrews 5 verse 7 says, Jesus made his prayers and requests with loud cries and tears to God who could save him from death. And that actually leads us to the great and sharp contrast between Jehoshaphat 
and the Lord Jesus. To Jehoshaphat, in our story, God said, Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. But Jesus, of whom God said, This is my beloved son whom I love, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus, as he was strung up and nailed to the cross, cried out to his father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why such a contrast between Jehoshaphat and Jesus? The Lord will be with you, he says to Jehoshaphat, and Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken? Well, the Paul, the apostle, gives us the clue, I think, in Colossians 2, because he says it was a different kind of war that Jesus was waging against a much greater enemy. It was the enemy within that Jesus came to wage war against. That part of you, that part of me that refuses to live for God, even though he's a good and gracious king full of light and life and love, that part of you and me that is absolutely determined to live life for me and on my own, which is darkness and destruction and death. That's the war that Jesus came to wage, to turn enemies into friends. And so not to bring judgment, but to bear judgment. In Colossians 2 verse 13, here's how Paul says it. He says, when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal debt, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And hear the warfare bit here. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Nowhere do you see God's power and glory, his majesty and might more clearly displayed than we do on the cross where God turned the ultimate defeat into the ultimate victory. And brothers and sisters, to the degree that God enables you to see that for yourself will be the degree to which you are able, in the midst of whatever battles that you're facing, to sing to the Lord. We're about to sing a song called Surrounded. It's a new song. We send it out in the email in the hopes that some of you would catch the drift. It's based on a line in Psalm 23 where David says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And there's a line in the song that, that goes, this is how I fight my battles. In other words, when I'm surrounded by my enemies, I sit down with the Lord Jesus at the table that he's prepared for me and I feast on his body broken and his blood shed, the greatest defeat that God made into the greatest victory. And I hear the Lord Jesus at this table that he's prepared for me say, do not fear or be dismayed at this great multitude for the battle is not yours, but God's. I hear, I sit down and I eat with him, his body broken and his bloodshed, and I hear him say to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And as you sit with him, you can sing to the Lord of his great victory 
And so as we sing this song, I hope you'll be able to bring a battle that you're facing to the Lord and sing, even if you haven't seen the manifestation of victory, of salvation. I, I pray that you'll be able to bring maybe some besetting sin, the enemy within, before him, one, one that just keeps getting the better of you and, and, and sing of his victory. Maybe it's a battle that someone else is facing or, or that we're facing in our culture to bring it before the Lord and to sing of his goodness and his victory. Invite the band up and we'll sing.